Well, welcome to the City Church. My name is Clayton Walker. I'm the lead pastor here of the City Church. We are in week three of a series called Project One, where we are looking at where God is taking us as a people, like as, as a faith family, as a, as a church family. We're looking at where God is taking us and what it's going to take to get there. And we've called this season that we're in Project One. And our team has put together these guidebooks, Project One guidebooks that talk about uh, where we're at as a church, where we're headed. It has our sermon notes and group guide and everything for this series and the season that we're in. And so hopefully you brought yours. If you didn't bring yours with you or if you uh, hadn't been here and hadn't gotten a book yet, whatever the reason and you don't have one, would you just lift up your hand and our team's going to bring you a book. Um, this is a great guide uh, for the, the sermon that we're about to give, but it's this, you, if you're a part of our church family, you need one of these books to know where we're at and where we're headed and why we're headed there. We've called this series and this season Project One because the, the, the scripture says that, that God through Moses said to the nation of Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is one God and so you're going to worship and serve me only. And then in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 4, and he says this, there's only one name by which we can be saved. There's only one name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So the scripture teaches us there's one God, there's one name by which we are saved and enter into a relationship with this God. Paul says it like this, there's one mediator between us and God, and that is the God-man Christ Jesus. Only one mediator. So you can't mediate yourself to God. You can't get yourself to God. There's no one else that can get you to God. I, I, I'm not your mediator. There's no priest that's a mediator between you. and No, Paul said only one mediator between you and God. There's only one person. There's only one channel, one doorway, one gateway by which you can have a relationship with God, be forgiven of your sin, and go to heaven when you die. And that is the one mediator the God-man, Jesus Christ. So one God, one name by which we are saved. The, the, the overflow of that, the result of that, the New Testament teaches us, is that means there's one faith. Paul wrote in Ephesians, there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. That means there's now one family. Like no matter what you identified as, like before you became a Christian, like whatever kind of demographics you might have belonged to before you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Jesus, you became a part of the family of God. And that identity now trumps every other identity in your life. That identity now takes the, the primary place in your life and every other identity in your life or demographic in your life, like it, it's subject to that. It's informed by that. So there's one faith, there's one family now. Jew and Gentile have come together in one family, one family, and there's one focus. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That is the focus of this one family, this one faith, taking this one faith to the ends of the earth. That's the, the focus of the church. And so we said, one God, one name, one faith, one family, one focus. That means there's one choice. Project one, one choice. That means as followers of Jesus, you and I should be all, all in. All, all in. With one faith, one family, and one focus. There's only one name that's worthy of giving your one life to, and that's the name of Jesus. There's only one thing worthy of living this one life for, and that's the, the glory and fame 
of Jesus. Any other story, any other name that we live for or give ourselves to is just too small because you were made by Jesus for Jesus. Like there's only one choice and it's to live this one life with this one family, believing this one faith and with one focus. And we've said in project one, that it's time for a new core group to rise up and to launch us into this next season of our church. Like there was a core group of about a hundred people that, that started this church together a little over four years ago. And we've said it's time for a new core group, like to rise up and launch us into this next season. And, and that's going to take faith and surrender and sacrifice and risk all the things that our original core group, like, like had to face and had to deal with and exhibited when we launched this church, like it's time for a new core group to rise up and be willing to surrender and step out in faith with sacrifice and risk to launch us into this next season of our church. And so this is what Project One is all about. And if you haven't been here, if you've missed the last weeks, I want to encourage you to go online to our website, our podcast, our app, and catch up. There's a great like 12-minute video presentation of who we are as a church and where we're headed and, 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 and why. And a lot of that's summarized in your guidebook as well. But I want to encourage you to watch that video if you weren't here on week one. Um, week one and week two's messages are all there on our website and our app as well. And, and I, I encourage you to do that because we've asked you to be here uh, every week during this series as much as possible. Like we know people get sick, you're going out of town, like you've got plans, but, but we want to all be on the same page. In Acts, it says they were a people, the, the early church were a people of one heart and one mind. And as we go into this next season of our church, we, we want to all be like together, one heart and one mind on the same page. And so if you can't be here, we're asking you to make sure you're staying caught up with one of those different avenues so that we can be all on the same page. We, we've said we believe this season that we're in right now, we're calling Project One, is a defining moment in the life of our church. Like it's a critical moment in the life of our church as we seek to be what we said in week one, a remnant that turns the world upside down. A remnant is a faithful people of God. Like regardless of what's going on in society or in culture, a remnant is faithful to God and worships and serves God regardless of what else anyone else is doing. And we said, we wanna be a remnant, like a faithful people of God that just like it says about the early church in the book of Acts, that turn the world upside down with the great news of the gospel. And so that's who we're seeking to be. And that's what this series is, is all about. And I want to remind you of two quick things before we dive into the material today. This Wednesday, as you saw in the City Minute video, is Advanced Commitment Night. This Wednesday, 6.30, right here. It's an opportunity, especially for our leadership, but for anyone else who's ready to lead out with their Project One commitment, uh, we, we want to invite you to, to join us. Anyone who's ready to make that commitment, it's going to be a, a leading out moment for the rest of our church. And we're praying that what this group does will inspire the rest of our church on November 13th, Sunday, November 13th. We want you to mark your calendars for that day. That is what we're calling Commitment Sunday. When our church will all commit and covenant together as a church to take this, seat, this, this step of sacrifice and surrender and faith to launch us into the next season. So this Wednesday, Advanced Commitment Night, 6.30, Sunday, November 13th, in our regular morning services will be Commitment Sunday. 
We, we've said throughout this series that to realize Project One, like to realize this vision, to live for and to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, to make an eternal impact, it's going to take each of us individually and corporately together walking the same path that a man by the name of Abraham did. And so we're diving into his life. This series has been diving into his life and, and looking at the, the path that he walked towards eternal significance to living for something bigger than himself. And say, what, what does it take? What does it look like to walk this path? So we're looking at Abraham, one of the most important figures in all of human history. And we're seeing how God multiplied his life for eternal significance. And, and maybe more importantly, the, the, the path that God led him down to accomplish that. Because it's a path that you and I, to get that we are going to have to walk if we want to live lives that multiply for eternal significance. If we want to live for something bigger than ourselves. And isn't that what you want? Like, don't you want to live for something bigger than you? Like my guess is to a person, every single last one of us don't want to get to the end of our lives and just think we paid bills and occupied space and consumed resources. No, I, I believe that in every single one of you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, there is this beating, this kicking, this desire to live for and to be a part of something that's bigger than you, to, to, to give yourself to a story that is so much bigger than just your story, like to live for a kingdom that, that's so much bigger than like your little tiny kingdom. Like I know if you're a follower of Jesus, that the, the, the spirit of God is like beating inside of you. Like, yes, I want to live for something bigger than me. Colossians 1 says you were made by Jesus for Jesus. So, so it's true for all of us. It's just that followers of Jesus now have the Holy Spirit of God saying, yes, that's the way. Yes, that's what you want. Yes, that's what we want. We want to live for something bigger than ourselves. And so I'm just calling us to that because I believe that as a follower of Jesus, like that's what we want. Like, it's so tempting to, to, to tighten our grip on the things of this world and the desires of our flesh. Like, I totally get it. I'm there with you. It's so tempting to do that. But, but in this series, what we're doing is we're just, we're calling ourselves to loosen our grip on the worldly, like visible, tangible things and just set our eyes on the things above, on the spiritual things of heaven. To, to, to loosen our grip on things that really ultimately don't matter and to take hold of that which is eternal. And I know your spirit is crying out for that inside of you. Mine is. And I believe yours is too. The problem is, we, we said this last week, and I love this picture. It's like our hearts get severely out of alignment. And we start veering to one side or the other, right? We, we start veering to either self-sufficiency, maybe to the one side, or, or, or we start veering to the other side, like selfishness and self-centeredness. And so we're, we're just praying that in this series that the Holy Spirit's gonna come and bring some realignment. It's gonna recenter ourselves on the mission of God and, and, and bring some realignment to live for something that's bigger than ourselves. And so today, we're gonna talk about kind of another step on that, another stop on that, on that path. And that's going to be establishing right priorities. You're gonna see God put Abraham in a couple of situations where he has to choose what is most important? What is most foundational to him? He's going to have to choose what's, what's primary and what's secondary. What, what, what's going to be first things and what's going to be second things. He's not having to choose between something that's bad and something that's good. But 
which maybe out of a couple of good things are the most good and which out of these good things come first and which comes second. You see, these subtle choices are going to have a dramatic impact on how Abraham's life turns out. And listen, these same subtle choices will have a dramatic impact on your life and how your life turns out and whether or not you live for a story that's bigger than you. So let me encourage you to take notes in your Project One guidebooks. If you turn to page 36, you'll notice there's a place for you to take notes. The verses are going to be there. There's going to be some fill in the blanks. That's a great way to stay engaged in our time together. So page 36 in your Project One guidebooks. We're in Genesis chapter 13. And so let me catch you up from the previous weeks just real fast. God has called Abram to leave everything he's known, to leave what's comfortable and to follow him into the uncomfortable. He's promised to bless Abraham and to make his name great, to give him descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and to give him this land as an inheritance. And Abraham, as we saw last week, <clears throat> has doubted some, right? He's had moments of great faith, moments of great failure, moments of, of great belief and trust and moments of great unbelief, just like me, just like every one of us. But God has remained faithful. Even when Abraham's been unfaithful, God has been faithful to his promise. And God has reassured Abram that he is the one, that God is the one who's going to accomplish all this. That it's not going to be based on Abraham's faithfulness or unfaithfulness. No, because God is faithful. God is said, you can trust in me. You can rely on me. I'm going to do this. And so you can trust in me. And we saw last week, maybe the most famous verse in all of the scripture on faith that Paul takes Romans 4 specifically and almost the entire book of Romans to expound on. Genesis 15, verse 6, it says, And Abraham believed God, and God credited him with righteousness. Abraham didn't establish his own right standing before God by doing better and trying harder, by doing the right things and doing less of the wrong things. No. Abraham established a righteous standing before God by receiving righteousness because of faith. Not because of his works, not because he was good enough, not by doing better and trying harder, but because of his faith. The Bible says Abraham was credited, he was imputed righteousness. That's the receiving of something that you did not earn, that you did not work for. Abraham was not a righteous person. You and I are not righteous people. The Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. But by faith in God's son, Jesus, dying for us on the cross, rising from the grave, the Bible says by faith, we trust in Jesus' payment of our fine. We trust in what he's done, not what we can do for ourselves. And the Bible says we are credited with righteousness, just like Abraham was credited with righteousness. And so that's, that's where we've been. Now we're in chapter 13. <clears throat> We're kind of diving back in. Abram has gone down to Egypt. There was a famine in the land, if you remember, and they've gone down to Egypt and they've wavered in belief and unbelief, right? Back and forth. And, and now we're seeing kind of what, what's happening next. In 13 verse one, it says this. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. So they were in Egypt and now they're, they're leaving and they're heading north. Verse two. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold at this point. From the Negev, <coughs> excuse me, they continued traveling, <coughs> excuse me, by stages towards Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. 
Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all of their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes begin to break out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. And at that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. So, so there's trouble brewing. There's a conflict brewing. Abraham and his clan ride and Lot and, and their clan and you got the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Like, they're all in this land. It's not big enough. And so there's conflicts that are brewing here. Watch what happens. Verse 8. <coughs> Finally, Abraham said to Lot, Let, let's not allow this conflict to become between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. So you take your choice of any section of the land that you want and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. And if you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. What, what Abraham does here is pretty unheard of. <clears throat> the average observer in those days would have expected one of two reactions. One, war. Or Abraham just asked Lot to go somewhere else. Since Abraham is the clearly big man on campus, right? He, he's the big dog. Uh, he, he could have easily just told Lot, hey, you're going over here, <laughs> get out of here. I, I'm taking this land. He's older, Abraham's older, he's richer, and he's the one who received the promise directly from God. If anything, Lot's like a tag along. He's like a third wheel in all of this. But Abraham does none of these things. In fact, he just wants to avoid conflict and he gives the lesser man in this situation the better choice. How many of you have a brother or sister? Let me see a show of hands. Brother, you got a brother or sister, you grew up with a brother, okay. Then, then you get this, right? You understand this. If you, if you grew up, you have a brother and sister, you understand this. Like there's something you both want, right? It could be a cookie. It could be, right, a, a, a brownie and, and, and a steak, right? You both want it. It's all that's there. It's all that's there. It's all that's left. And so what do you do? Well, you want to be the one, right, that can go and, Divide the thing in two and choose your portion, right? Because you want to you cut it in such a way where it, it kind of looks like it's close, you know, but, but not really. And you want to you cut it and you want to choose the bigger portion for yourself. Or here, here, here's what happens. Your parents, because they're, they're trying to be fair, what do they do? Okay, well, one of you is going to cut it and then the other one's going to choose. And so which, which, which spot do you want to? You don't want to be the one to cut it. You want to be the one to choose. You want the brother or sister to cut it so that you can be the one to choose the bigger portion, right? I mean, fights break out in families over choosing the bigger portion of something, right? I mean, so imagine in this scenario, right? This is a miracle in and of itself. What happens right here? It's unheard of what Abraham does. So look in verse 10. So Lot <clears throat> took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor and the whole area was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. So, so it's saying that this land that Lot sees, it looks appealing. It's desirable to the eyes. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot, Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So, so Lot looks and because of what he sees with his eyes, he chooses this portion 
of land. Verse 12, so Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom. We'll, we'll come back to this here in a little bit, but this is huge. This is important. Lot, Lot moves his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area where, where, where Lot was settling were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. So, so Lot chooses this location that looks good and it looks desirable to him, but, it, but, it's, but it's close to Sodom where they are famously wicked. Verse 14, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look, as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west, I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see for, to, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. And so go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. You see, what you, you see happening here is a contrast between two different sets of priorities, two different ways of looking at the world that led to two different locations and two different outcomes, both physically and spiritually. Two different priorities, two different value systems here. But both Lot and Abraham are ambitious men and, and both are making smart decisions according to their particular system of values, to their priorities. But Abraham's choices lead to increased prosperity and blessing and multiplication while Lot's choices leads to destruction. And, and so this is where we kind of have to lean in and pay attention here. Because what we're going to find out is that Abraham's priorities, his values, lead to prosperity and blessing, while Lot's values and priorities lead to destruction. Two different value systems, two, two different sets of priorities here, but two different locations with two different outcomes as a result. Abraham is going to have to rescue Lot twice from Sodom, once in the next chapter and then again in chapter 18. And just minutes before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah and the whole Jordan Valley, there's this time where, where Lot lost all of his possessions. And his wife turns into a pillar of salt. This set of priorities, this set of values that, that, that Lot has leads to his destruction. He loses everything. Lot chose his location because of the location of his eyes. Did you, did you notice? It says that, that Lot looked and he saw something desirable. And so Lot chooses his location because of the location of his eyes. And there's a terrible outcome here. Abraham chose his location because of the location of his God. And it leads to prosperity and blessing. You see, here's what we've got to understand. Motivation always determines location. Your, your motivation, like what you love, what you desire, right? What, what's in our hearts? That, that determines our location and it determines outcomes, Here's what never determines location. Watch this. Intentions. <clears throat> intentions never determine your location. Like, like your best intentions and, and your great plans. Like that never determines location. No, the scripture is going to remind us over and over and over again. Like your intentions don't determine your location. Your motivations do. Your, your motivations, like what's in your heart. 
That's what determines your location. That's what determines outcomes. So we're going to look at Lot and Abraham and see the, the value system and the priorities that, that, are, that are going on here behind the scenes in their hearts. So first of all, Lot. Number one, Lot is financially motivated. Lot is financially <clears throat> motivated. When we look at Lot and, and, and Lot's weighing of the options, he made his choice based on one factor. Which direction can make me wealthier? Financially, his decision was a good choice. But in the process, he shows total disregard, even disdain for spiritual things. He knows God. He worships God. But there's no prayer or any cons consultation with God in his choice. And he makes his home next to Sodom, which was notorious for its wickedness. He put his family in grave spiritual danger because Sodom was where the money was at. And you see these choices play out tragically in his family. In chapter 13, as we just read, he moves next to Sodom. He's near, so like, I'm going to get up right as close to the line as I possibly can. I'm going to flirt with sin and wickedness as much as I possibly can, like without engaging it in myself so that I can prosper from it, so that I can gain from it. I'm going to get as close as I can to that line. Well, in chapter 14, he's no longer next to Sodom because what does sin always do? It drags you in just a little bit further. Like it always takes you further than you want to go. You take one step kind of <laughs> into sin, one step up to that line, right? And what happens? It just tugs you further and further. And you start taking one step away and another step away and another step away. And you look back and like, how did I ever, you ever been there before? How did I ever get here? How did I get here? In chapter 13, he's just, he's near it. Chapter 14, he's no longer next to, he's no longer near. He's actually in Sodom. He's living in Sodom. By chapter 19, not only is Lot in Sodom, he's one of the most respected men in Sodom. And eventually, when God calls him to get out, when God calls him to leave Sodom, because God's going to destroy it, him and his wife are so in love with the material prosperity and their way of life in Sodom, they, they, they struggle to leave it. And, and when God says, hey, get out and don't even look back, they're, 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 they're leaving, they, they finally leave. And what does Lot's wife do? She, she turns around and she looks back because she just can't stand the fact of what she's leaving behind in Sodom. And God turns her into a pillar of salt. Listen, sometimes God calls people to live in a Sodom. And the point is not that you shouldn't live in a place that, where there's sin. That, that's, that's everywhere. The point is that Lot and his family that followed his lead prioritized material things above God. You see, what good is it if you and your children become leading men and women in Sodom, but you, you lose your soul? Jesus said it like this. What, what good is it for you to profit the whole world and everything the world has to Like, What good is it if you profit the world but you lose your soul? What good is that? Some people are in jobs that are terrible for their family. Leaves them no time for their family or for serving God, but it pays for a lifestyle that keeps them comfortable. Most of us are more committed to sports and leisure activities than we are to the kingdom of God. And listen, I, I totally get it. I'm, I'm right there with you sometimes. 
I've got three kids and as they get older, it gets harder and harder to figure out how to balance everything. I, I, I get it, but let's face it. Like our kids are probably not going to play in the major leagues, right? It's, it's probably not gonna happen, but they are definitely going to stand before the living God. You and your kids and your grandkids will stand before God. 100% of us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, will stand before God one day. So why would we sacrifice spiritual things on the altar of something that we know is passing, that we know is fleeting and improbable? Some families care more about what their kids go to college than where they spend eternity. And honestly, that's, that's sad. It's not that any of these things are wrong, it's just that God should get the priority in our decisions. It's about what's primary and what's secondary. It's about first things and second things. Lot's primary concern in where he pursued his career was where he could make the most money, and it, that didn't turn out too well. Romans 1, Paul says this, that idolaters worship and serve created things rather than the eternal creator. That, that, that's idolatry. It's when you give yourself to created things. It's when you serve created things. It's when you love created. It's when you desire created. It's when you're motivated by created things more than you are the eternal creator. And Paul says it like this. That's exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It's a lie. Those things can never come through on their promise. They will never fulfill you. They will always leave you high and dry and with ruin and destruction just like Lots did. Because Romans 1, Romans 2 says, when you worship and serve created things rather than the creator, you exchange the truth of God for a lie. God just gives you over to that. He gives you, he gives, like he gives you over to that where you just go all in and serve those secondary things. And you discover the consequences of those decisions that, they're a mirage, they're a lie. And they never come through on their promise. Lots worshiping and serving created things. He's financially motivated. Secondly, Lot, Lot, Lot is selfishly motivated. He's selfishly motivated. Lot, Lot chose what was best for him. And even though in this case, he, he actually had to wrong his uncle to get those things. Abraham clearly should have been given the better choice here. Lot is miles away from a generous heart. He thinks about the prosperity of one person in his choices, himself and his immediate family. So Lot is financially motivated. He's, he's selfishly motivated. Let, let's now look at Abraham. Number one, Abraham is spiritually motivated. Abraham, on the other hand, is spiritually motivated. Abraham prioritizes the kingdom of God. His question wasn't, where's the best land? But God, where do you want me to go? Did you notice in verse three and four that his first act upon coming into the new land was to build an altar and ask God, what do you, what do you want? In fact, when he got there, he went to this place called Bethel where he previously had heard from God because he said, God, the, the, he was like, the first thing I need from you is to hear from you about what you want from me in this season of my life. 
Abraham thought about God first and foremost in every decision. And you see that not only in how he makes decisions, you see it in what he does with his blessings and victories. In the next chapter, in chapter 14, Lot is going to get captured by some of these kings of Sodom. And Abraham's going to mount a rescue operation where against incredible odds, he, he pulls off this great victory. And in the process, he ends up with a lot of spoil from these kings who attack him, which make him even richer. Well, the first thing Abram does is tithe. He gives 10% of it to this mysterious man named Melchizedek, who is presented as this priest of God. Not only was God Abraham's first thought in, in making this decision, he, he was the first place Abraham turned after this victory to say, thank you. Because all Abraham's blessings and prosperity came from God, Abraham believed God should get the first fruit. That just means first and best. First fruit, first and best of everything that Abraham had received. Now you might ask, well, why was giving to Melchizedek considered giving to God? Because Melchizedek was God's appointed instrument. Well, in the New Testament, God's appointed instrument is the church. Look, look through the book of Acts. Look, read the New Testament. God does his work here on this earth through one primary institution all throughout the New Covenant and in the New Testament, and that is the church. The church was the means by which the gospel is preached. People are discipled. Needs of the poor are met. So, so here's what you've got to understand when it comes to giving. You are not giving to the church. You give through the church to the mission of Jesus. You have never given when you've given to a church. You've never given to the church. You've given through an instrument. You've given through the church to the mission of Jesus. Abraham is spiritually motivated. Secondly, Abraham is selflessly motivated. Abraham is selflessly motivated. Abraham thought about himself third in this decision. God was first, Lot was second, Abraham was third. And because of that, who's looking out for Abraham and his needs? God is. Abraham puts God first, Lot second, himself third. And because Abraham takes this selfless position, God's like, I got you. I'm going to look out for you. You're looking out for everyone else's needs. I'm going to look out for your needs. Paul says the same things in, same things in Philippians. We, we should look to the interest of Christ first and others second. And, and that's what Abraham is doing here. Proverbs 11 verse 24 says it like this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Abraham experiences the first part. Give freely and become more wealthy. Lot experiences the second part. He's stingy and he loses everything. So, which set of priorities, which set of values describes your life, exemplifies your approach to life? You see, here's the big idea. Lot was motivated by a what? while Abraham ultimately was motivated by a who. Uh, remember, Lot looks and he sees this land and it's desirable. He, he, he sees something he wants. He, he's motivated by a what? Abraham is motivated by a who. He's motivated by the Lord, his 
God. And what's the result? Abraham experiences blessing. Lot experiences ruin and destruction. So let me ask you a few questions. Just a diagnostic here. Self-examination. Here's the first question. What or who is first in your decisions? What or who is first in your decisions? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you as well. What's all these things? It's finances, it's relationships, it's stuff. We always ask what God wants and we do that. We always prioritize the kingdom of God and the mission of God and God supplies what we need, not always what we want, right? But, but, but what we need, Jesus said, seek first, get, get primary things in their right spot, get first things first. And God says, I'll, I'll take care of what you need. When you get first things first, when you, when you prioritize things that are primary. Second question, does God get the first and best of all you receive? Does God get the first and best of all that you Receive. Let, let me tell you a story that's kind of rocked me over the last month in preparing for this series. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were the two sons of Adam and Eve. Both made an offering to God, but there was a huge difference in their offerings. Huge difference. Abel gave the firstborn of his flock. The firstborn, the first and best. What? What that means is that before there's any other animals, Abel's giving God the first. What what if no other animals are born? Abel's like, God, you got this. That's up to you. He trusted God with that. Cain, by contrast, gave only after his whole crop had come in. He waited until it was all in to see if he would have enough, and then only then did he give. God was pleased with Abel's offering, He rejected Cain's. There's something there in our first and best that God really cares because there's something about where we give our first and best, where the direction, the location of our first and best. There's something that is so tied to our hearts that God really cares where we give our first and best. Where, where, where you, and what you give your first and best to, it reveals what is God in your life. And we're all giving our first and best to something. And what you give your first and best to, it, it shows what you treasure most. That the first and best of your paycheck goes to improving your lifestyle, that, that shows that what you deem most important in this life is comfort. Abel could give the first of the flock to God because he trusted God to provide more flock. Abraham could be generous with the land because he trusted God was going to provide him with the land that God wanted him to have. And so let me say it again. Everybody gives their first and best to something. What is that for you? You don't need to get hung up on 10%. I think it's better for us to process what's first and best because That's really where our hearts are. And that's what God's after. He's after your heart. I think God wants us to give in a way that shows he is first. He is best. Because whatever we give our first and best to is what we worship. And God cares 
about what our hearts desire in worship. And it breaks his heart when we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Last question. Do you think of yourself as an owner or a steward of your blessings? Do you think of yourself as an owner or a steward of your blessings? God had told Abraham that he was going to bless him. We saw that in chapter 12 in week one and that because he was going to bless him, God expected him to be a blessing to other people. And so when Abraham received any blessing, it was this, this natural choice to consider how that blessing was going to bless others too. And so even when it came time to choose where to live, he gave the first and best choice to Lot. Lot, of course, is the opposite. He thought about himself first. And so the question is, are you a channel of blessing or a reservoir? Are you an owner or a steward? And according to scripture, God has blessed us, not just so that we could enrich our lives, but so that we could bless others. You might remember from week one, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, it says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Enriched to be generous. What, what this means is, is that we're not stewarding generously, we're actually stealing, like we're embezzling God's money. You see, every Christian, every Christian, is a nonprofit ministry. You're like, no, Clayton, that, that's you, that, that's the church. Like, y'all are the 501c. Like, I'm not. You, no, 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 no. The scripture, I, I love this picture, makes it clear. Every single one of us are a nonprofit ministry. God has given you donations, everything you have is a donation, it's a gift. From God because he wants you to use it for his mission. When we sit on those blessings and we just use them for our own luxuries, again, it's, those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when we're only using the things God has blessed us with for our own luxuries, we're embezzling money. God has blessed us to increase our capacity for generosity, not just to increase our standard of living. While there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, it's not just for that. God has blessed us to increase our capacity for generosity. And so we ask that same question of, as a church. How has God blessed us? Why has God blessed us? For one reason, to, to bless Lubbock and the world with the gospel, to turn the world upside down with the great news about Jesus. He, he's blessed us that, that we might live for something that is bigger than ourselves. That we might live for a name, for a story that's so much bigger than ours. The end of this whole thing is that God ends up multiplying Abraham beyond his wildest dreams. Abraham's story illustrates something called kingdom economics that so few of us get. That when you prioritize God, that, that whatever you prioritize before God, you, you actually lose. But whatever you give to God, the first and best, he, he multiplies for eternal significance. Whatever you prioritize above the Lord, you you lose. We see that play out with Lot. Lot chooses money first, and so he lost his fortune and his family. C.S. Lewis, the great author and theologian, said it like this. When we put first things first, God multiplies second things. When we put second things first, we not only 
lose first things, we also lose second things. Read that with me again. When we put first things first, Lewis said, God multiplies second things. When we put second things first, we lose not only the first things, we also lose the second things. It's like when you put second things first, you, you lose the capacity to even enjoy the second things. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says something similar. Those who love money will never have enough. When, when, that's, when that's first, it's like you, you, can't ever have, you can't even enjoy it because it's never enough. But when you put God first, he, he multiplies you just like Abraham. God increased what Abraham had and, and he blessed the world through him in the process. Here's what the writer of Proverbs says in chapter 3 verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Or if you're a Baptist, grape juice, right? This isn't talking about making you richer. This isn't a prosperity gospel. That's not what we've been talking about. No, it's about enriching your life with eternal significance as you give yourself to the glory of God. That always takes surrender. It always takes faith. It takes risk. It takes sacrifice. We've seen that with Abraham. It reminds me of a story our, our, our friends and dear family in our church that the Neals told me about and how they've, they've, they've wrestled with this during this, this process and what God's been leading them to do and why. And so I want you just to kind of hear their story of what God's been saying to them in this Project One season. So check it out. We've been at the city since the very beginning. Um, Darby and Clayton, we've known them for a long time, and they approached us um, before they actually started and said, hey, would you come and be a part of our group? And we're going to kick this thing off. What do you think? And we said, let's do it. And so we um, we were there from the very first night, at the Science Spectrum Days, um, and we brought our kids, and, and we've been with the city ever since. And just um, we've loved seeing it grow and um, just develop all these ministries and just excited to see what's what's coming up next. We're involved in the first impressions and the greeting commu- uh, committee or group in the morning, I guess. So um, I stand outside usually with some of my kids and greet people as they show up. And then she always helps people that are coming in and bringing kids, helps them check in, get them get their kids located so they can go into service. The whole focus of, of the purpose while we're here is for us to know Jesus and for our children to know Jesus and take that out into the world. And really, beyond that, nothing else is nothing else matters. So baptizing my children here at the city, um, I've done two of them so far and to have two left yet to go. But I think that uh, obviously doing my own children was a pretty impactful moment for myself. But watching all the other children that have that have gone through that I know that are friends of ours, when you see that happening with the children, it's uh, it's pretty impactful and, and, and very emotional. I think that the city's focus being a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, you know, uh, just a diverse group overall, with one focus on knowing Jesus and making disciples of Jesus, um, it's kind of taken out the 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 legalities of the church that you might find in other places. Um, it's just one, it's a one goal, one focus kind of place. And that's the only reason that we're here. It's the only reason the Bible says we're here, that Jesus came for us, uh, is to know him and to serve him and to make him known. 
And so just having that, this, this, I would call it an eclectic group, all focused on one goal, it makes it, uh, it's, it's where we want to be. It's where we want our family to be. So. As we've heard about Project One and um, started to talk in our family about what that looks like for us, we've decided to be, to step out, be generous, and that can be very uncomfortable. It won't be easy. It's never easy. That's the whole point. It's a call to be uncomfortable. We're excited to be generous. It's it's the only reason we're here and um, what God has called us to do. Would you help me thank them for sharing their story? I'm sure you can imagine. I'm sure you can imagine when you're talking about something like this, it's, it takes being vulnerable. It can be uncomfortable to even talk about it. I totally get that because this has been super uncomfortable for me in this series. But our, our primary prayer in this season is, is not, it's not like a number. That, that's not our primary prayer. It's not like getting the resources that we need to move forward. Like I, I, I trust God with that. The, the primary prayer is that, that you and I are learning to give God the first and best of our lives. That we see ourselves as stewards of what he has given us as we offer up more and more of ourselves to be multiplied. My, my, my primary prayer is that you're engaging with the Lord on what does it look like for you to go all, all in. It's the one choice we have, go all, all in. If there's one God and one name by which you're saved, there's one, there's one choice. And so my, my prayer is that you engage with the Lord on that because, because out of the overflow of that, like that, the, 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 the numbers, all that, that's gonna take care of them itself. If we're, if we're engaging with the Lord. And I think this is illustrated so well in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse three. David is, is raising funds for the construction of the temple that his son Solomon's gonna build. And, and David says this, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all because of my devotion. And that's what we're trying to, in this series, like stir up, like your devotion to the Lord, your, your devotion to the, the, the people of God, right? Your, your devotion, if that is stirred up and you're engaging with the Lord, you're going all, all in because your heart is stirred to live for something bigger than yourselves, to, to live for a story and a name that's bigger than you. Like if your heart is stirred up there, then, 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 you're, gonna, then you're gonna give what the Lord is leading you to give and those things will take care of themselves. And so that's the primary concern here. Like, what, where is your devotion? Where is your heart? And we talk about first and best today because whatever's first and best is what we're really devoted to. David was devoted to the Lord, his God, to the temple of God, to the people of God. And out of the overflow of that devotion, his heart burning for the Lord, he was willing to give his all. A, a kingdom disciple is someone who sees everything that God has given to him as a seed to be used in the kingdom of God. And so the question is more like, what, what am I not giving and why? Obviously, God gives us things to bless us and to take care of our families. But, but when you start asking the question, like, what am I not giving and why? You might discover that there are many things that you're prioritizing over God's mission and, and things that you trust and depend on more than God. And so in this series, we're, 
or examine what, what are we devoted? What are we really trusting in? What are we really devoted to? And as we do that, I'm, I'm, I'm just drawing your attention again, page 27 in your guidebook, if you'll flip there, it's where your commitment card was like inserted and stuffed, but, but there's a sample on page 27. And this is the worksheet. This is the commitment card. That, that's a sample of the commitment card that we're going to fill out at the end of this series on November 13th together as a church family. And our, our prayer is, is that you're, you're praying about and you're praying through this card and you're talking as a family and you're, you're, you're examining and praying and you're engaging with, what does it look like for us to go all, all in? And I, my, my prayers is that at the end of all of this, that your card will reflect a heart that says, I'm all, all in. I am devoted to the Lord, my God and to his people. I'm devoted. I'm all, all in. My, my, my prayers is that your, your card will, will say, I, I'm going to live for something bigger than myself. I'm going to live for a name and a story that's worthy of giving this one life for. So let's, let's bring our first and best for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, we, we got to get first things first, primary things in, in, in their place. And, and, and first things first, like you, you've got to understand that the reason we, we give and the reason we love God is because he loved us first and, and he gave first. John 3 says that God gave his first and best, his one and only son for you on that cross. He gave his first and his best for you. To, to say, I love you, he gave his first and best. His son on that cross. And he gave up his first and best for you on that cross because when Jesus died on that cross, he paid your fine for sin. The, the Bible says that we've all broken God's law. And just like when you break man's law, you pay man's fine. When you break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from him and hell. That's the fine for sin. That is the just punishment for sin because of God's righteousness and holy. God, God is love, but God is also righteous and holy and just. And he must punish sin. Any good judge can't let the criminal off the hook. No, you got to pay the fine. And God is a good and just and righteous judge. Because he loves you so much, he gave his first and best. He gave his son on that cross to pay your fine for sin. And the Bible says that by your faith, not, not because you do better or try harder, but because of your faith in his son, Jesus, who died for you on that cross, rose again three days later, proving that he is who he says he is, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the way for your sin to be forgiven and to go to heaven when you die. He proved it by rising from the grave. The Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus, you give your life to him, your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God. Not because God just overlooks your sin, no, but because his son that he gave up, his first and best, died for you in your place for your sin on that cross. He paid your fine. 
And the great news of the gospel, of God's love for you, is that God is calling you now. Give your life to his son, Jesus, that you might be forgiven of your sin and made right with him. And so if, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to know today is your day. Now is your time. This is why you are here right now in this moment to get first things first. You need to give your life to Jesus. And if that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form. Let us know that you're giving your life to Christ today or come grab one of our pastors and tell us, man, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. We'd love to celebrate that decision, decision with you and point you in the right direction. But let's get first things first. We love because God loved us first. We, we give our first and best because God gave his first and best. That, that's, that's where all this comes from. And so God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit right now that's speaking to us, that's convicting us, that's, 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 that's drawing us into a life of eternal significance, living for the glory of God. It's the reason we were designed and created in the first place, to live for one name, that's the name of Jesus. And so God, would you just continue by your spirit to, to call us to that and stir up our, our hearts, affections and, and devotions for your son, Jesus. And that we would live for him who died and rose again for us. God, we thank you for giving your first and best to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in a time of worship?